We've made it to hour number four of Sports Talk with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. A lot to get to in this last hour as we look forward to being joined by SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. But right now, it's your chance to win. It's the Sports Fix at 6. John, we're giving away a $25 gift card to Edwin Watts Golf Shop. That's at Turkey Creek. Edwin Watts Golf Shops have been offering golfers top-line golf equipment at the lowest prices and with the best service since 1968. $25 gift card to Edwin Watts Golf if you can answer this trivia question. Tennessee's next opponent is Georgia after an open date. Tennessee has had two running backs that have rushed for at least 200 yards against Georgia. Both came within the last 25 years. Name them. Name the two Tennessee running backs who have rushed for at least 200 yards against the Georgia Bulldogs. 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. As we look for a winner today in with our Sports Fix at 6, 656-9900. If you want to take a guess at our trivia as a... Uh, Jimmy, Tennessee would love nothing more than to get then to get the ground game going. Uh, I thought at times yeah. they they got a, a decent push and made a little headway against Florida, but nothing sustained. Yeah, it wasn't consistent, and, and that's the thing that they need to do. And I think that they'll uh, they'll have to be creative and work around that. But uh, certainly, I think the offensive line of Tennessee is getting a little bit better. Um, and I think as with the young players they have, they'll continue to get better. Let's get a call from Brian. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hey, guys, I'm doing great. Uh, wow, I cannot remember who the tailback was, but I think uh, the year, I believe, is 1994, 25 years ago exactly, that uh, a running back ran over for over 200 yards. I'm going to guess and say Tony Thompson, but I'm thinking it was maybe Little Man Stewart. So, But I'm going to go with Tony Thompson on that one, and then Jamal Lewis in 1998, but I'm not – 100% sure about that one either. Thanks for letting me try, though. Well, you got uh, your second guess was spot on, and you were oh so close on your first guess. All right. You got one out of two. I knew I was. Yeah. Brian, thank you, thank right, you Brian. Thank you, we sure do appreciate it. Let's go next to Jason. Hello, Jason. Uh, hello. Um, uh, Travis Stevens and Jamal Lewis. Uh, you're half right. You, start, you finish strong. Thank you. Jason, thank you very much. Have a great night. It's JT who's up next. Hello, JT. Yes, it's Jamal Lewis and James Lillman Stewart. That's it. Those are the two. Yeah. It was interesting. So Jamal Lewis, uh, whom Georgia decided wasn't their target, they wanted Jasper Sanks. In his first game against Georgia in 1997, he ran for 232 yards. Little Man Stewart ran for 211 yards against Georgia in 1994. You might remember that that's the game that Todd Helton started. Mm -hmm. And Tennessee ran for about 383 yards in that game. And Little Man had his way. He was outstanding against Georgia. So the two Tennessee running backs that have gained at least 200 yards against Georgia, Jamal Lewis, Little Man Stewart. JT, you have won a $25 gift card to Edwin Watts Golf. Congratulations to you. We're going to put you on hold and get that prize to you. Way to go, JT. We sure do appreciate it. Again, be sure and hang on the line so we can get your prize information. And we have another chance for you to win right here and right now. As you know, with the playoffs going on in NASCAR, the uh, circuit will swing back around to Talladega the weekend of October 13th. So what we are doing is that we're giving away general admission tickets to 
the practice that will be featuring stars of both the Truck Series and the Cup Series on Friday, October 11th. And each winner of the practice tickets will win uh, a pair of tickets and then become finalists for the grand prize, which will be four Sunday Tower tickets for the 1000bulbs.com 500 on Sunday, October 13th, four Saturday Tower tickets for the Sugarland Shine 250 on Saturday the 12th, four Friday general admission tickets for the 11th, four weekend passes to the Talladega Garage Experience that's opening this October for the first time ever, which is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You'll get four Riley Green meet-and-greet VIP concert tickets for the Saturday night infield concert and one Silver Lot infield parking pass for the weekend. But the winner, caller number 5 at 656-WINS, caller number 5, 656-9467, will get general admission tickets to the Friday, October 11th practice featuring stars of both the Truck Series and the Cup Series as a, each winner will receive a pair of tickets. So um, call, caller number 5 right now, 656-9467, 656-9467 for Friday, October 11th, practice tickets at Talladega. We'll get a break. When we return, it'll be SEC replay official Gerald Hodges joining us on FM 99.1, The Sports Animal. 99.1, The Sports Animal. It sounds just as good on your car radio as it does while you're working. 99.1, The Sports Animal. Sports Talk continues. And before we say hello to Gerald Hodges, we'll do a little bookkeeping here and we'll say congratulations to russell russell was our winner of the nascar passes for the friday practice which would be october the 11th in talladega now is a finalist for the grand prize which would be an incredible weekend in attending uh, that particular playoff weekend in nascar so listen for your next opportunity to win and then earlier today it was fred who was our winning word winner as he picked up a 50 dollars gift card from salsaritas he heard what the word of the day was and uh, called in with the cue to call. And so he had the right word and now is a proud owner of a $50 gift card to Salsaritas. The next winning word will be available the weekend of Tennessee and Georgia. But we always appreciate the opportunity to catch up with Gerald Hodges as we turn our attention to the rule book. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Gerald, how you doing? Doing well, Jimmy. Doing well. Well, thank you for joining us as always. Uh, there was a play in the Tennessee game I want to ask you about. There was a fumble by Florida near the sideline. And a Tennessee player had a foot out of bounds when it looked like it glanced off his hands. He got back in bounds, and then he recovered the fumble. Uh, talk about how a player must reestablish himself in the field of play before he can, is eligible to recover a fumble. Okay. Once he goes out of bounds, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like the basketball. They actually changed the rule a little bit to that. But when you're out of bounds and you jump back in bounds, if you touch the ball before you – you know, touch inbounds, then, you know, where you're considered, if you come from out of bounds, you're considered out of bounds till you get back inbounds, and you'd have to do that before you touch the ball. Do both feet have to be no, just, just one? Right. Okay. Right. All right. Um, also, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, this is NFL, but I want to lead it back into the SEC. So the NFL, the first two weeks of the season, 
call 5.7 offensive holes per game. Fans got upset. Coaches got upset. A New England quarterback tweeted he was sick of watching this game because there were so many offensive holes being called. The coordinator of officiating for the NFL had a conference call with officials and said, okay, let's be a little bit more judicious in this, I reckon. So they went from 5.7 to 2.9. They were up 66% the first two weeks of calling holding versus the previous year. But again, it went from 5.7 holes per game to 2.9. Do you know of the SEC or, or any conferences that have conference calls to say, folks, we need to revisit our emphasis on what we are calling? Not really. Not really. Now that, you know, in between seasons, you know, they'll sometimes mm-hmm. they'll pass a rule that wasn't really what they thought it would be. Uh, we had that several years ago where they were, they were, tinkering with the timing of the game because of the length of the games and uh they and i'd I'd have to go back and look see what the rule was but if something anyway they they ended up shortening the games too much they didn't give you know each team enough possessions so they they did that one actually in mid-season but that's the only time in my 45 years that i've ever seen a rule change you know, come in in the middle of the season. I'll I'll relate this to basketball because I remember there was a – this has probably happened more than once, but there was an emphasis on you have to call palming the ball, carrying the ball for these basketball players. So these non-conference games, they're calling them left and right. Okay. Then when they got into conference play, it didn't seem like they were calling them quite as much. Uh, I wonder if – and, and sometimes I wonder if that's happening in the NFL. In the preseason games, they're calling all these penalties in football, and then when they get to the regular season, they back off a little bit. I wonder if sometimes if, if you've seen that happen in college. Well, the, we have in at the front of the rule book, uh, we have points of emphasis right? for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will, you know, we will study those, and the on-field guys will you know, get a lot of instruction on you know this. This is a point of emphasis. That emphasis. They will let the coaches know that this is going to be a point of emphasis this year, and it's different. And it can be different things. But uh, you know, for longest time, helmets off. Uh, it. We had a rash of helmets coming off, and then they said, "Okay, we're going to make the player leave the 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 field for one play if his helmet comes off, and it's not a foul. You know, in other words, the face mask or something jerked it off. So that has cut down on the amount of helmets off, and we do track that uh, mm-hmm. in the replay booth, uh, that you know, the number of helmets off on each team, but it has drastically reduced the number of helmets off. Pass interference can be nullified if the pass is uncatchable. And I have seen times during the course of a game where I thought, God, that thing was so overthrown, there's no way he could have caught that in the field of play, but they let the pass interference stand. Gerald, I wonder if it's different if there's a pass that's thrown in the field of play that's overthrown versus one thrown out of bounds. Because there was a game I was watching the other day where they called pass interference, but the ball, the ball went seven yards out of bounds, clearly uncatchable. Are you more likely to have uncatchable when a ball's out of bounds versus in the field of play? Sure. Yeah, the athletes today, and, of course, the way the rule reads, when in doubt, it is a catchable pass. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be, you know, if it hits three rows up in the stands or behind the team area, obviously, you know, they're going to wipe that off. But if it, a pass that hits inbounds, 
unless it's way behind the receiver. If they're on, they were running fast downfield and hits way behind, that's another thing. But it, it's still a judgment call. But the, the calling official that is closest to the play sometimes will get some help from someone else that has a, a, a greater overall view of it. You know, he's watching the contact between the receiver and the defensive defensive player, and and they're they're instructed if you know it wasn't, you know, wasn't catchable, go tell them. Yeah, so you'll see them, you'll see them talk, and then they'll decide you know how to go with it. Holding is a different matter altogether, correct? That it, there's not the same relief potentially for the defender if the call is holding on a pass route as opposed to pass interference. Correct. Uh, typically holding is going to happen a lot of times before the ball is in the air. Mm-hmm. And that's where you'll get a holding call versus pass interference. If it happens closer to the ball, then you'll probably get pass interference. And, of course, the penalty is different. You're still going to get the automatic first down, but it's going to be a 10-yard penalty on an eligible pass receiver where the ball is thrown beyond the line of scrimmage. So there's more verbiage to that. We have seen the NFL uh kind of change it used to be hard and fast that if any part of the ball touched the ground in the process of making a catch that that would be incomplete Uh, since then as long as the receiver is showing control through the catch um, for instance we'll just say that he's making a diving catch gets both hands around the ball uh, and he's got it as he hits the ground and if the ball doesn't move then it doesn't matter that the underside of the football touches the turf um, because he showed that he had complete control of the ball regardless of it touching or contacting the ground. Is college football, is there anything that's similar or how similar is your interpretation or officials' interpretation of seeing a part of the ball that might touch the turf or grass but is in complete control by the receiver? That is very close to college. In fact, it's identical. The ball, and you'll see it a lot, but he may have two hands on the ball. Mm-hmm. The nose or the point of the ball may touch the ground. But if he has firm control with both hands, you know, and typically they'll be rolling and he maintains control of it, then it would be a catch. There was a call, and it was uh, Wisconsin and Michigan that were playing, and it was a receiver for, I believe, Wisconsin that went, no, it was for Michigan to make a catch. And so the middle of the football uh, – is what looked to have contacted the ground and it was it it was ruled incomplete and it stayed an incomplete uh, call and i'm just wondering as you look at, at that how much is it a matter of the how much the surface of the football touches the ground or is it all about as you see whether or not that ball moves at all as the player contacts the ground yeah there's not a you know hard fast you know how much of the ball mm-hmm. it just basically it says if the ground aids in him catching the ball then it would be an incomplete what do you look for in that is uh, as far like, as well it could hit the ground first and then, uh, then grab it just they need to have control of it before it hits the ground and then maintain control of it It can move you know mm-hmm. it can move but they've got to maintain control it's just you know you look at 30 years of it you can't tell if it's there or not and but, then sometimes you can't tell yeah, so. and then there was let's see there was another um i think this was also a play in michigan wisconsin and this was a targeting call and you had a late decision by the quarterback to slide michigan quarterbacks got the football and he's running and then it was 
kind of an awkward slide, but it was just a late, and he did go feet first, and he did slide, but it seemed as though the defensive player had already started into the low approach to try and make the tackle, but as the slide went, it was helmet to helmet, and he was called for targeting, and the call was confirmed. There you go. So um, <laughs> that's, that's the only one of the only two options. That's yes. Right. So uh, when when you're examining something like that, how tough is it? Because you, I realize it's very difficult from what you're seeing with the four pictures as you start the process. To, uh, to see intent, but to me it just didn't look like there would be any way the interpretation would be that the Wisconsin player intended. I mean, I don't think he launched. I don't think he was zeroing in helmet to helmet. I just think it was, again, sometimes defenders are in the worst possible spot because all they can do is let what momentum they've started finish, and it cost him the rest of the game. It, it could. It's, you know, there are the three the three indicators of targeting Mm -hmm. and if uh, if it meets all three the the unfortunate thing as i say unfortunate i don't write the rules but there's there's the word intent is not in the rule that's and that's a that's a toughie Uh, because you'll see that you know but uh, if there is contact if he is indeed in his slide then and there's contact you know above the shoulders then it's probably going to be confirmed and I could swear that you see, I mean, it's just one of those things because you see it slow down and you might talk yourself into thinking, okay, here's what I'm seeing. But I could swear that the defensive back was trying to change his angle of approach, that he was trying to avoid what he knew was then going to be a helmet-to-helmet hit. Um, but there was nothing that could prevent it because, again, it was just a very late slide. The defender was already in the process of going low to tackle a runner. Right. And... I guess sometimes you can just be on, you can just run into bad luck in trying to make a stop. You be in the wrong place at the wrong time, I guess. To, to follow up on that, if you you're the replay guy, and if you see a guy intentionally turn to the side to avoid it, does he get any leniency? Well, it you know the the new rule is is he has to attack with forcible contact. So if there is there can be. You know, they can be helmet-to-helmet contact without it being targeting. So, yes, there is a little wiggle room in that regard. Well, good. Because uh, <laughs> you know, I've seen players like what John's talking about. You're trying to avoid it, and you're, you're kind of – but a guy slides into the area where – and you have – it's really difficult at that speed to get out of the way. So, right. so you'll see that, and if you, if you notice a guy intentionally trying to avoid it, you, right. you may give him a break. That okay. was, that's a new word in the rule this year is forcibly attack. Yeah. And that's in both, you know, of course, obviously with the crown, the helmet, that's that's a little easier. I mean, right. But in your in that situation with, uh, or any situation with a sliding quarterback, and, you know, if he gets the helmet to the side and they happen to hit, excuse me, happen to hit helmets, uh, that would, I mean, you could obviously overturn that one. Our guest, Gerald Hodges, if you have a question or comment about the rule book, 656-9900-656-9900, star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. This is Sports Talk. Only one radio station makes your workday a little more manageable. Only one station is 99.1. The Sports Animal. 
Sports Talk continues. Our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges, to join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Gerald Hodges, uh, I want to ask you about this, and this is a balancing act, but I, and it's a tough call, and I wanted to get your take on this. So uh, Ole Miss and California playing. The clock's running. Ole Miss is on about the three-yard line. They throw a pass completed near the goal line, and the replay official does not stop it. It's close to touchdown. He doesn't stop it. And then Ole Miss runs a quarterback sneak after that. They get stopped. Clock runs out. Uh, if you stop the clock, then that could be advantage to the offense because they have no timeouts left, disadvantage to the defense. If you don't stop it, then there's, well, wait a minute, he might have scored. How tough is that call from a replay official standpoint, is that maybe one of the toughest calls that you have to make? It's a judgment call on whether you should or shouldn't stop it in that situation. That's correct. The knowing when to stop the play, shut the play down, is our hard. That's our hardest call. Once mm-hmm. we get the play stopped to get the videos, uh, you know, we we should get a hundred percent of them right because you know you can, of course there there are times you you can't get the camera angles and then of course you've got to you know let the play stand, but Typically, in a scoring play, you really want to look at that. Uh, so, but that is that's one of our toughest calls. And typically, you know, especially scoring plays, uh, change of possessions are big momentum swings, that type of thing in the game, and you, you want to try to get those to look at them. But what, you're right on the balancing act. You got, yeah. You've got to be careful, uh, to, especially if the offense is out of timeouts, then – you know, you you could give them an unfair advantage and make, negate a good defensive play. Well, but by not stopping it, Ole Miss can get mad because hey, we might have scored. And then if you do stop it, and they've got time to set up a play, so Cal Correct. on defense is mad. So, um, and then and this is different from a regular play during the course of a game where you might have as much as twenty five seconds to look at some replays, right? And then decide to stop it. I mean, Ole Miss is on the line of scrimmage, and they're trying to run something really fast. Right. So that that's um, uh, that is a tough call, I would think, from your position as a replay official. It is. That's one of our toughest uh, toughest decisions. Um, also, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, I was um, I was watching a game, and uh, a team was, and I think this might occur in part when when you're closer to a goal line. So this team, I think, is inside the five yard line. And kind of late in the clock, they run in a sub. So the offense does. So the official goes over the ball, as he should, and then the other team decides to run in a sub from the sideline toward a goal line, which takes you longer to run that far. And uh, the team that had on offense had sub, I don't remember if they got delay of the game or were forced to call a timeout. It was one of the two. And they were upset about that. But I guess the message to that team is you cannot send in a late sub, in particular near goal line on offense, or you run the risk of getting a delay or being forced to call a timeout, right? That's correct. That, that's the risk, the, especially the offense runs. Of course, you know, defense, unless, you know, if the offense doesn't sub, they're on their own. They yes. can sub, but, you know, they don't have the protection. But, uh, yeah, run, running a sub in late in the play clock, you run that risk. Really do either a timeout or or a delay. Yeah, well that that happened, yeah. and, and again I don't remember if there was a timeout called or a delay that was called. It was in the Notre Dame Georgia game, but it was uh, it was a late sub by Notre Dame, and Georgia subbed in, and and the officials standing over the ball, and the clock's down to four, three, 
okay. And and Notre Dame coach was upset about it, but I'm thinking, hey, that's your fault. Right. Yeah. That's that's a risk you take. It sure yeah. is. So uh, there was another one I wanted to ask you about as well. This happened in a pro game. Uh, there was a kickoff. It was a short kick, and the player catches it, I think on his own 23, and he takes off running, and after he's gone about 8 or 10 yards, you hear these whistles blowing to stop it. And the official said number 52, who was not the receiver of the kick, had called timeout. And I'm not called timeout. Head signal, fair catch. Fair catch, okay. Right. So, so they blew it dead at the 23 where the guy caught it. Well, I didn't know exactly what they had called it first, so I looked at it, and the guy that caught it clearly did not signal right. a fair catch. They said number 52 signaled a fair catch. So I looked at 52. He didn't signal a fair catch either. And I'm thinking, where did that come from? Now, it could have had the wrong number. That, that's, that's it. They could have had it. But yeah. I kept looking. And I'm thinking, well, who in the world called timeout? I could see nine people on the field on the because of the camera on right. the field. I couldn't see yeah. all of them. So maybe somebody did call that. But if indeed the guy that didn't catch the fair catch, if there was anybody on that field that called for a fair catch, then you get the ball at the 23, that's right? That's correct. It's where the ball is caught. The ball comes dead immediately. Anybody makes a waving signal. Yeah. Okay. Sure Just yeah. want to make sure about right. that. Right. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. We have had a couple of questions because we've seen that even with more and more conferences as well as leagues, because not only is it in college, but you also have it in uh, the NFL, Major League Baseball, uh, that – go with the collaborative process to where they're talking with people that aren't even in the same state as the game that's going on. Uh, what is that process like, and what has it been like to uh, to get used to just that new procedure? Actually, it was a lot easier than we thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, the technology today is just it's amazing from what we had when we first started in replay. Uh, one thing was there was a delay in TV signals, and uh, – it could have been a much back in the early day. It was ten seconds. Yeah, and between what what we saw on the field and then what uh, the collaborative video center would see, and mm. uh, but I mean we didn't. They were experimenting, but with enough dollars, there's a way to get around that delay. So they <laughs> literally see the uh, you know. I mean, it's just a split second delay, and. Uh, and as in all of the uh, collaborative, uh, they see the replay official screen. They see what I'm looking at when I'm running any different play or any any replay official. Is that for every stoppage that collaborative is accessed and or consulted? Well, oh, sure. They, you know, I, say they, I mean, for instance, if it's cut and dried yeah. to where the moment you get a look at it, it's like, okay, this the, the call on the field is correct. So it stands. Is it is it just like everybody agree? I mean, is that how does that process work, and who gets the final say when you do go to the well, panel? Fortunately or unfortunately, the final say belongs to the official sitting at the stadium. Oh, so it'd be me, you, me, me in that case. Oh, oh, the way they do it mostly, they can see my screen or mm-hmm. see all of our screens, and. Uh, 
we basically we tell them what we're looking at. They okay. can see our work, and they want to see our work, what camera angles we're looking at, and that type of thing. All right. And I will tell them, here's what I'm going to do. And it it could be said, so, well, let's look at one more angle. You know. Okay. Uh, did you look at this camera angle? Oh, but typically, if if I'm going down the right path, and you know, we agreed, then really don't hear. I mean, all we hear is that we agreed. Or, yeah. Yeah. So this just kind of the equivalent to them looking over your shoulder and just saying, yeah, we see the same thing you do, or what about this right. shot? Right. Let's get a call from Mark. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Mark. Hey there, Gerald. You make, I made a comment about the play that Jimmy talked about, about the player in the Tennessee-Florida game establishing himself back in bounds. And I believe I heard you say that that rule had changed somewhat in basketball. And I know you only have to have one foot in bounds, as you said, to establish before you touch the ball, which I actually think our guy did. And I think they missed that call, but that's not the case, I guess, in basketball. If you've got, if you if you if you've just got one foot in bounds and maybe the other one out, that's not that's not the same rule in basketball. Is that correct? Well, now what I said was, you know, you you only have to have one foot down in bounds. You can't have the other one still out of bounds because you're still out of bounds. That's the same football and basketball, but that's in any play. Okay. So. Uh, if you have one foot inbounds and say your other foot is in the air, as long as it's not out of bounds, you're considered inbounds. Well, why is that different, though, than like when you catch a pass and you have only one foot inbounds in college football, that counts even if the other foot is out of bounds. Why would why would it matter where the other foot was as long as you had the one foot in bounds? Why would it not be just like it would be if you were catching a pass? Well, it is. It's the same. If you're catching a pass, you get one foot in bounds, and the other one's in the air. Uh, then you're in bounds. But if you're if you're standing with both feet, say you're straddling the sidelines, then you're out. If any part of you's touching out of bounds, it's out of bounds. So, so I guess that's what what you're saying is, as long as any part of your body is touching out of bounds, or maybe does it have to be a foot? Uh, it can be any body part. You, know, you could be laying down, some, you know, catch it, pass it. Any any part of your body touching the line, you're out of bounds. Can even be hair now. Uh, well, no, I don't know about that. Yeah, no, probably. No, <laughs> I, I think with the long hair out of the helmet, I, I think it's that case in the NFL that that has entered into the mix. Uh, I, I haven't Thank seen you. that yet. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for I bringing thought, that up, John. <laughs> um, on the play with Tennessee, I thought he had a foot out of bounds when he touched the ball. Then he came back in and recovered it. He had established it once he recovered it. But the initial touch, I thought a foot was touching out of bounds. Okay, That's I, why they ruled it as, uh, as an, I don't know, a not eligible recovery. I thought that was the right call. Okay. Because, again, I, I, he didn't recover it when he first touched it. He had a foot out of bounds. Then he reestablished, and then he recovered it. Right. But so that, that's what Was happened. it on a fumble or a he pass? He was on a fumble. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. he was on defense. He was on defense. Okay. He had one foot out of bounds when he initially touched okay. the loose ball. Right. Then he established and then recovered it. But right. because he had touched it with a foot out of bounds, that they ruled the, it. That made the ball out ball. of bounds, so you had a fumble out of bounds. Right. That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
Mark, we do appreciate it. We'll get a break. We've got a final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk coming up. We'll also remind you that coming up uh, at 7, it'll be Tennessee Sports Night. And you'll hear the same two that have taken you from 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock from 7 to 7.30. Jimmy Himes and I have a lot coming your way. Ryan Callahan of 24-7 Sports will join us in segment number one uh, as we'll talk a lot about Tennessee's game and loss at Florida. Segment number two, a lot to clean up, Jimmy, on aisle three. In fact, it might have seeped over into aisle four. We need, a, yeah, we need more than three to talk about this. <laughs> uh, uh, you're right, cesspool comes to mind. Segment number three: Tom Hart of ESPN and the SEC Network will give us his thoughts on the first four games around the Southeastern Conference, as far as four games into the collective SEC season, and then we'll wrap it up with last call. That's ahead of football futures as well as the Big Orange Hotline, all right here on FM ninety nine point one, the Sports Animal. Weiser Studios of Cumulus Broadcasting. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. This is Sports Radio WNML. Final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk, a final segment with SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. Gerald, uh, we saw something, I think it was... Maybe Thursday or Friday night. However, whenever Tulane was playing, they went with the uh, they went with the fake uh, spike. They stepped back from center, went with the fake spike, and then came up with a big play that set up the winning score. Um, I know that with replay in hand, you're supposed to be cautious and kind of let things play out so you can go back and correct whatever needs correcting. But I would imagine that's got to be a really tough situation to avoid the inadvertent whistle when you see somebody fake a spike when they're trying to kill the clock. Because to me, your mindset would be, I'm going to try and give them not necessarily help, but just give them an immediate whistle so they stop the clock if they're trying to spike it. That is correct. And whistle control is a big part of the game, whether it be a fumble or in that situation you were talking about. Uh, that would be almost a natural reaction. You see that hand go down. So, you know, you want to be right on it. And but it's the best thing is don't carry your whistle in your mouth. And because there's nothing that corrects an inadvertent whistle. No, there isn't. Uh, quickly, do all um, uh, games have uh, pylon cameras? I wish they did, Jimmy. But no, maybe one or two out of ten different games. So CBS usually does. Uh, they have started this year usually having them. CB, uh, yeah, CBS and does, and then ESPN uh, has some. Some of the ESPN crews have the pylon cameras, and some of them also have a first down camera hmm. that marks you know the tenure, which is very helpful to yeah. to us in the booth. Right. Well, I, yeah, I would think uh, both would be helpful to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Then, Gerald, we appreciate it. Always great to catch up with you on Mondays. We look forward to visiting with you again next Monday. That'll be great. I'll nice. be here. Thank you. Gerald, always appreciate it. Safe travels wherever you're going this week. And that is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. That's going to do it for today's edition of Sports Talk. And again, a Monday night lineup continues. Up next, it's Tennessee Sports Night. After that, it'll be football futures. And after that, it'll be the Big Orange Hotline. We invite you now to stay tuned. This is Sports Talk.